0: There are a few words out there that I know if I say it, I will get your attention immediately. Much more than I already have it. And one of those happens to be the word demons. (laughs) If I say that, it's just like boom, bam, wow. The downloads go up. Uh, If I'm speaking to a live audience, if I sense there's distractions, (laughs) if I sense people aren't engaged... Get going on the demons and the devil, and ooh, I get your attention much more than I already have it. We'll get to demons another day, but I hope to create a, I don't know, a more cultural awareness. That's a modern term, culture. I think if you say culture, you get people's attention. Culture, culture, culture. But more of a spiritual, cultural awareness out there for angels. That's right, angels. I want people's attention when I say angels. I want whenever anybody is preaching or teaching, or whenever you're reading the word of God and you come across angels, that you uh, engage that. I would rather have angels in my life than demons. You need to be living a life that attracts angels. You'll attract whatever you live. So you live like demons, you'll attract demons. You live like angels, you will attract angels. Look, I don't care what what you've done, how much of the Bible you've obeyed. If you do demonic things in your life, watch the devil do things in your life. You do things that are pleasing to angels, you'll have them in your life. So that's what I'm doing. It's, it's really to change your life, to change your mind. And not just for you to become informed or educated, but it's all about the life that you live. And I want angels in my life. I want to be like the type of guy that the psalmist prophesied about, or wrote about when he said that the angel of the Lord encamps around about him that fear his fears him. I want an angel encamped in my house. I do. I really do. I want them here in the office. I want them in the car with me. I want them in the restaurant with me. I want them uh, when I go and see people in the hospital with me. I want them in people's homes when I go and visit them. I want them uh, by me when I'm worshiping the Lord. I want them by me when I preach. I want them by me in the altar call. I want them by me when I travel on planes or in cars or anywhere I go. Even here recording this podcast, I want one right by me. I want them to encamp around about me. And so through the years of feeling this way, just anytime I would read the Bible, I would, I'm really old school when I read the Bible. If, if I've got, a, if there's usually about, I don't know, five to seven subjects floating around out there in my mind that I'm wanting to collect information about. And so whenever I read my Bible, I have uh, a space for notes, sometimes on the phone, sometimes I do it on, with pen and paper and those little notebooks. And if I pick up some information in the Bible about the subject, I'll make note of that. So one of these subjects was angels. It's always there uh, floating around in my head, trying to get as much information as I can about them. But even if you get all the information, what is possible, we only know in part, we only prophesy in part. So (laughs) I think even if I interpreted all of the scripture properly and correctly about angels, I may know maybe what 1% about what angels really do and who they are. But from from what I can gather, I want to give to you. And uh, today's subject is going to be about worship and warring angels. Worship and warring angels. The Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. Take God's love to another level in your life by giving to the ministry of this podcast. Give an offering through Cash App, PayPal, or Venmo at Justin C. Gleason. Thanks and be blessed. Run away! So, yeah, we need to be thinking about angels. So take, for instance, the word saint, the word saint in the Bible. The word saint appears 95 times. The word disciple. Ah, that's a great word. That's a great term. That's a great thing. In the Bible, disciple is there 259 times. Okay. well, what about angel? How many times is it in there? Two hundred and eighty times, and this is the New King James Version. So, it's uh, angel is there one hundred and five times in the Old Testament and one hundred and seventy-five times in the New Testament. Two hundred and eighty times—that's a lot of times. So, we need to be taking time for these angels that have written about a lot of times in the Bible, and take time to talk about this. So, I believe that God created four major classes of angels. There could be more. I i'm open-minded to this but from what i can tell and i know other researchers bible scholars have come up with four major categories of angels and that is angels of worship they were they worship their throne angels angels of war these two we're going to talk about today Uh, so yeah warring angels and then you also have messenger angels like gabriel and then you have um ministering angels these are the ones that encamp around about us these are the ones that look like people and you wouldn't if you saw one you wouldn't even know it was an angel until they did something supernatural so uh those four the ones that we're going to focus on in this time and season maybe we'll get to some others like for instance the term watcher which is in the book of uh daniel and other places in the old testament uh yeah it's just fascinating information i just i want to have a connection to the spirit world I really do. So we're going to break down for you some ideas on the worship angels or the throne angels and the warring angels, and we hope it's a blessing to you. Uh, so there, periodically throughout the Bible, people would see these angels of worship, one of which is Isaiah. He described these angels in a term, a Hebrew term called seraphim, which means a burning one, burning ones. They look like fire to him. And he described them there in Isaiah chapter 6 as having six wings, two of which covered the angel's face, two of which covered his feet, and two he used to fly around the throne of God. So Isaiah sees these angelic beings looking, looking like fire. They look like fire, and they have six wings. And they soar around the throne of God. They're always with God wherever his presence is carried throughout the earth. These are a little different than what Ezekiel saw. He described them to be like cherubim or to be like living creatures or beasts. Okay. Two different angelic beings, but they're always seen around the throne of God. Okay. So let's focus on the seraphim. So they're six winged. Two cover the face, to cover the feet, and two used to fly around the throne—they're always covering, covering, covering. They cover their face and their feet, and I think it's because they're just simply not permitted. There's a boundary, a barrier where they're not able to access the glory of God. Uh, with their, got to silence this phone. Not able to access the glory of God. Uh, with uh, with their presence. Are not permitted to look upon the Lord, and not uh, permitted to touch His presence. Pro- you know, it's, a lot of people would, in the Old Testament, when God would appear, they would just cover their face. Uh, you know, so that's just covered, covered, covered. So I don't have time to get into this, but I think it's there's a lot of connection to even First Corinthians 11 uh, with uh, man's hair, women's hair, all of that. You know, man has short hair because he's covered with the glory of God. A woman's hair is long because she's covered with the authority of a husband. So it's all about the connection to angels that we have. And I'll tell you this. I know I said it last week, and I've, <laughs> I've gotten some feedback about it. I've seen the Holy Ghost fall and move in so many different types of atmospheres. I've, I've seen it fall in uh, extremely conservative Pentecostal churches, extremely liberal Pentecostal churches, very middle-of-the-road conservative or middle-of-the-road Pentecostal churches. And you know where else I've seen it? I've, I've seen it fall in healthy environments and unhealthy environments. I'm serious. I've been in some of the most dysfunctional churches where it's extremely toxic and controlling. And you know what? The Holy Ghost still falls. <laughs> but it's not so with angels. Angels really only manifest and appear when things are being done right. <laughs> I've seen that. If you got angels working, you're probably doing something right or you're doing something really wrong and they're about to judge. But I don't know. I just I just think that uh, if you got angels working, there's there's a good spirit there. They're not offended. They want to be there. They're sent by God there, and they're they're there ready to move. So, see, so yeah, a seraphim are are used for the glory of God around His throne to worship and praise Him all day, every day, day and night, since the beginning of their their creation on day two. And uh, when they speak, they say things like "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is filled with His glory." And their voices are so strong and so powerful that it, it, it shook the door frames of the temple. Isaiah writes about it. And so then these angels, these seraphim, one comes down, takes a coal off the altar, puts it on his mouth, and, and calls him into the ministry. Uh, puts an anointing on his life, an authority, and just a, a prophetic uh, gifting upon Isaiah. These angels do these types of things. Have I seen them? Yes, I have. Not quite to the degree that Isaiah saw them, but I've seen them in visions. I've seen them in, um, in just what I call um, a vision form. I've never had one touch me. <laughs> I have heard their voices, and yes, it is loud enough to shake a doorpost, but they're very real. But God created these angelic beings, these seraphim, these fiery beings to be around his throne, to worship him day and night, to speak to him, to call out to him, to tell him, and to announce to all of the angelic world, the host of heaven, all of that realm that God is holy, holy, holy. He is the Lord of hosts. The earth is filled with his glory. So when we get to worship in the Lord, and we start singing things like that, you know what's happening? You're starting to worship the Lord like an angel does. And you start to worship the Lord like angels do, that's when angels will manifest. I have seen these uh, angels appear on camera even. I remember Brother Josh Herring sent me a video clip of a service that he preached at. The media of the church captured it. And it looked almost like... um, Well, like a pillar of fire, like lightning almost. Uh, These pillars coming up and down the aisles of the church and in the altar area. It was the manifestation of angels. It happens in our church services. I've noticed whenever you see and feel the move of God just become like explosive, just like boom, bow, pow, and people are falling out, people are going nuts. There's angels in the room. Because most Pentecostals, I mean, when you get the Holy Ghost, I mean, you feel it. It's exciting. You want to move. You want to dance. You want to shout. But it's almost like we come become, I, I hate, to, I don't know what else to say, accustomed to it. You know, but whenever an angel comes down, descending from that upper celestial spiritual realm, they have upon themselves the glory of God in a more intensified way we're not used to. And that's when it just starts going nuts. Okay. So they want to be around people that are covered in the presence of the Lord. Modest people. That's right. You cover up those thighs and (laughs) cleavage. The thighs and cleavage. (laughs) Sorry. you covered in the presence of the Lord. Yeah, angels will manifest. You have your hair right. You do all that right. You'll have uh, angels present with you. So there's also another term for throne angels, and it's called cherubim. And also living creatures is another term. So in genesis you have cherubim it's a hebrew word cherubim, and it's it's a difficult word to interpret the be, the best term that i have ever heard they are a it like it denotes several meanings it's like a term for guardian and it's also a term of like um a uh, high-ranking level of service, being at the right hand of somebody, something, or somebody, like a deity. That's kind of what Carabim, the cherubim, do. For instance, uh, when Adam and Eve are dismissed from the garden, a cherubim is placed there to guard uh, the presence of the Lord. Hey, okay? and there with a flaming sword, nobody could get in. So they're there to. They're there to uplift the throne of God. They're there to be there for God. They're there to worship the Lord and minister to him, but also to like guard his presence and dismiss anything that shouldn't be there. So then you have uh, Moses making the Ark of the Covenant and he uh, fashions the cherubim on the top of the mercy seat on one at one at each end and their wings come down and they make a seat for the presence of the Lord, so whenever God would glory, His presence would come down there on top of that ark. It would rest upon the wings of the golden cherubim. So not only do they guard, but they like serve the throne of God. They're they're there to make sure God's presence is properly cared for. So even throughout the temple, uh, interwoven in the curtains, various places, you have these cherubim as earthly representations, man-made representations of what is happening in heaven. And these are servants around the throne of God, mighty, powerful servants that are called cherubim. Uh, so Ezekiel saw these, and he used another term called living creatures. It's also there in Revelation, living creatures and cherubim. I think they're the same things, just two different terms. Because they look different than seraphim. They're not a fiery being, although they are bright. I've seen these angels. But they look like there's aspects about them that look like beasts or look like living creatures, animals. Okay? So... uh I don't want you to get confused. You'll have to go back and read it really read Isaiah really read Ezekiel and really read revelation about these things but one of the things that that is very interesting about these cherubim is that The prophets describe them to have eyes all throughout their body all up and down their body and all throughout their wings For a long time. I would see artwork of these angelic beings and they would have literally eyeballs people would artists would draw eyeballs in their wings and in their bodies looks really cool it's like they're full of eyes well i my eyes have been open and i've seen these beings in a church service and let me tell you it's not eyeballs like with the white of the eye and the pupil the cornea all of that eyes i think in the bible it means openings and when i've seen these creatures it's not an eyeball it's like an opening throughout their bodies and whenever they speak and they have their own like Sound when they move like when you and I walk typically you hear our shoes or you hear your Your pants or your keys jingling or your cell phone or whatever in your pocket Angels have their own type of sound when they move and it's not the sound of the sole of a shoe or keys. It's like a It's it's musical when they move it almost sounds like it's similar It's like a cross between a harp and a and p3. I'm being serious It's like these openings that make this powerful, beautiful, whistling sound. And so that's what these openings do. Like, okay, when Jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom. Okay, does a needle have an eye? No, it's an opening. It's a hole. It was used to describe this little area in the the temple on uh one of the walls, they opened it up and a, and a camel could get through uh, an opening in the wall. It's a small little opening and a camel had to kneel down to get through. OK, so it's an opening. It's not an eyeball. It's an opening. So these angels, they have eyes and these cherubim, these living creatures don't have six wings. They have four. Two of them touch each other. And then the other two, or then the other one, uh, they lift up to God. So they travel in pairs like twos. Now, there'll be a multitudes, but they stick together in twos two of them touch each other's wings and then the other one they uplift unto the lord and the way ezekiel saw them these these living creatures these cherubim they carry the throne of god they're throne angels underneath the throne they're not above the throne that's where the seraphim are they're flying above or yeah above the throne around the throne of god fly around in circles worshiping the lord the cherubim are underneath carrying the glory of god have you ever been in a church service and you're standing there at the altar worship service, brother to brother, sister to sister, you just put your arms around each other, and then the other hands you raise up to the Lord. Where do you think we got that from? We got that from angel worship. I don't think we we didn't plan on doing it. It's just kind of what the Spirit does and wants. Whenever you do that, whenever you see that a lot, people with their arms around each other and two hands lifted up in the altar call. Uh, it's a sign the throne of God is there, and it's just the Spirit reacting through us, and and that's just how we work. So a lot of our worship is connected to angel worship. Raising hands, that's angel worship. They raise their wings. (laughs) Whenever their wings move real fast, and and the prophet said it sounded like uh, mighty waters, why do you think we clap our hands to the Lord? Well, it sounds like angelic wings. It's all creating a throne for the Lord's presence in a worship service. Uh, That's why Pentecostal church is so powerful because God is looking around so many other denominations, people's hands are in their pockets and God's like, I, I, my throne can't be there, but he looks down and sees hands raised, hands clapping, Uh, (laughs) people moving around like angels do. Angels don't stand still. They move. They're always moving. They move like lightning. They move like fire. And we're down there dancing like a flame of fire. Yeah, God says, yeah, that's a good spot for my presence. So, yeah, that's, that's how it is. Worship will attract the angels. It really does. So something else really neat about the living creatures is that they uh, they have four faces, one like an, a lion, one like an ox, one like a man, one like an eagle. And with these four faces up there in heaven, they all cry out to the Lord, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. So this is interesting. One angel has four, it's not four heads, but four faces. And it's, it's real, I'm telling you, I've seen it. They have four faces, one on each side of the head. So the lion, the ox, the man, the eagle. And I just have a theory about this. These are the four representations of God manifesting in the man, Jesus Christ, Messiah. So you think about a lion. How is Jesus presented in the Gospel of Matthew? He's presented as Messiah, Jesus the King. What is the kingly beast throughout the earth? It's the lion. You go into the book of Mark. How does he present Jesus? Well, more like a servant. People are asking him, can you come pray for, for this person? Can you come pray for that person? My daughter severely demon-possessed. Can you come? And Jesus says, yes. So he's presented like a servant. Out, out of all the beasts in the kingdom, what serves man the most? It's got to be an ox. What what plows the field back then? Ox. Then thirdly, you look at the Gospel of Luke. How is Jesus presented there? Well, he's over and over called the son of man. Luke focuses on the humanity of Jesus Christ. So there there you go. A man. Fourthly, how does John represent Jesus? He represents him as the son of God, God manifested in the flesh. He comes from heaven. That's how he presents him, his heavenly attributes. Out of all the the, the beasts of the of the field, the birds of the heaven, what soar is the highest? What gets up there the highest? Well, it's the eagle. So you have these four attributes of Messiah in the four faces of the angels all around the throne, a lion, an ox, a man, and an eagle calling out to the Lord as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ, worshiping like that. So that is a that's the cherubim, that's the seraphim. And uh, I'll just throw this in here. This is kind of unique. You know, Lucifer was called the anointed cherub. Called the anointed. He wasn't the anointed seraphim. He was an anointed cherub. And the gifts and callings of God are without repentance, right? I think Lucifer, in a way, still has a lot of his callings and giftings and a lot of his original angelic attributes. <laughs> does he still have a face of a lion? Yeah, he does. First Peter 5.8, he goes about as a roaring lion, right? Uh, Ox ox uh, do not be in in Galatians do not be entangled with the yoke of bondage Well, that's ox language a yoke So he still has that oxen spirit second Thessalonians 2 He's uh, portrayed as the man of sin the workings of the devil through the Antichrist the man of sin Then Ezekiel 28 uh, Lucifer wanted to ascend like an eagle way above the throne of God (laughs) So For those of you that have seen demonic creatures, I hope you never do. But for those of us that have, you know, a lot of times what they look like, like like a lion. They do look like an ox with horns. Some of them look like these mighty birds. And yes, some of them do look like men. Where did all that come from? They didn't create their own look. God gave them their own look. But since they've been banished from the presence of the Lord and and dwell in darkness in the underworld, they've become hideous. But you'll see these attributes, lions, ox men and eagles in the spirit world in both angelic and both uh demonic so that is throne angels they raise up their wings they cover their bodies they touch their wings to each other they move like fire they move like lightning ezekiel even talks about the the angels that look like wheels i think they're called merkava in the hebrew it look like they look like a wheels i've seen these folks i've seen them in church they think of the planet saturn the wheel within the wheel that's what they look like now it's not a wheel but it's an angel that moves like a wheel and they move like wheels to carry the presence of the lord where do you think holy rolling came from Uh, you get on the ground and roll you're acting like a wheel didn't come from us didn't come from azusa street i wouldn't even say it came from the book of acts it came from heaven long ago (laughs) so our hand raising our hand clapping our aisle running All that moving around, rolling on the floor. We're worshiping the Lord like angels, okay? That's why they're among us. That's why we have miracles. That's why you feel the presence of God in an apostolic church unlike anywhere else. And it's because we worship like angels. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost in this office. Man, revelation is coming to somebody. Mm. You get to your church this Sunday, you start worshiping like this, it'll catch on quick. And people will get their hands out of their pockets. They'll spit out their gum start worshiping the lord like he wanted to be worshiped praise the lord the justin c gleason podcast is available on apple podcast spotify and more press follow and become a loyal listener give a five-star rating and write a great review you can also get more content from me at the life church kc podcast you're here to listen and i'm here to talk Moving on now to uh, angels of war. I gotta plug a device in real quick, and uh, let's take a sip of coffee. Oh, that—that's an americano. Oh, that's good. So let's talk about warring angels. You also see these um, around the throne, but it's not like they serve the throne. I'm sure they worship. You know, they give glory and honor and credit to the Lord. They serve the Lord. But their their main job, their main designated purpose is to war. You see these a lot in the Bible. So uh, and especially uh, in the Old Testament with the kings and the prophets, when they were at war against the enemies, angels came uh, to assist them. So like uh, David, when he battled against the Philistines at one moment, he says, I heard the sound of angels marching through the tops of the mulberry trees. That's First Chronicles 14. I mean, just a host of angels started marching in the top of the trees just <laughs> and wiped out the Philistines. I mean, it's not an angel of worship. It's not a messenger angel. It's not Gabriel. It's angels of war. They war throughout the earth to serve and to aid uh, the saints of the Most High God. So Isaiah, who also saw Seraphim, he knew about angels of war. When Sennacherib, Sennacherib the, uh, the Assyrian came to wage war against Israel, uh, Isaiah prophesied there would be great death amongst their enemies. This is Isaiah 37, and the Bible says, One angel came out and killed 185,000 enemy soldiers. I mean, just one. Just where, where do you think Samson got his strength from? Well, it was angelic strength. That's what happens. So, yeah. uh, uh, In the New Testament, they're they're there in the New Testament as well. Uh, uh, Peter gets broken out of prison. He was about to be killed, about to be beheaded by Herod. Angel comes there and breaks him out of prison. So, is that a worship angel? No, it's not. Is it a messenger angel? No, it's not. It's it's an angel of war. uh, Breaking down the walls, opening doors, getting him out of there. It is an angel of war. So... Can we act like these angels? Yes, we do, through spiritual warfare. You really can. Angels love the name of Jesus. Angels serve the Lord. They have no tolerance for sin. They have no tolerance for wickedness. You want to be powerful in spiritual warfare, start serving the Lord. Okay? You get all these people that are like, I want to serve, I want to serve. Really? That's code for I want the microphone. I want to preach. I want to get my license. Well, you want to serve? Start by serving the Lord. Serve the Lord. Why don't you start with a little spiritual warfare where you see demons in your life? Get them out. Where you see sin in your life? Get them out. Help other peoples. It's no wonder that an angel of war told Daniel, blessed is he who leads many to righteousness. That's what it's about. It's about defending and protecting the will of God and the kingdom of God. That's how you live and act like an angel of war. So uh, we have an angel of war that we know by name, Michael. A lot of angels didn't give their names throughout the Old Testament. The only time they started doing that was during the uh, exile years. So Michael revealed his name to Gabriel or uh, Michael revealed his name to Daniel. Gabriel revealed his name to Daniel. That's, That's how much of a connection Daniel had with heaven. He started getting the names of the angels. I mean, that's just so special. And it was just a precursor of names coming down from heaven, such as the mighty name of Jesus. So Michael is a warring angel. Some have described him to be the angel that only wars for Israel. I kind of like to think that that Michael not only wars for Israel, but he just wars everywhere. He's like the the, captain of the Lord's host. So in the book of Daniel... Uh, Michael had to come and help an angel against the prince of Persia. And he was sent there through Daniel's intercessory prayer. This is Daniel chapter 10. Okay. Uh, A messenger angel prophesies over Michael's war defending Israel. Daniel chapter 12. You, you, You really see all four of the types of angels in the book of Daniel. It's my favorite Old Testament book. And I've got some teachings on this, maybe maybe another time we talk about angels, but you'll see how they all work together. So, messenger angels prophesy about uh, the great victory that's coming th- uh, for Israel through Michael, and then, of course, Michael will uh, uh, do this war and fulfill it in the book of Revelation. So, there's all, uh, yeah, great wars about Michael and uh, the wars that he'll fight one day in the ages to come, so... Uh, talking more about Michael, not only what will happen, but what has happened. And it's it's an interesting passage. I want to bring this up about the angels of war. And it's it has to do with Moses, his death, and the promised land. So in the book of Jude, it talks about Michael and Satan having a dispute over the body of Moses. Isn't that interesting? It's actually... Uh, <laughs> the pseudographical books, the book of Enoch, which is not in our biblical canon. Not saying it should be, but I think you should acquire a book of Enoch and, and read it. There's a reason it's not in the canon of the Bible. It doesn't fit the overall package of the Bible. Not to say that it's not a powerful book, not to say it, it, it uh, doesn't have truth. It does. It just doesn't. It's just not scripture, but there's other truth that's in it. Okay, uh, Brother Bernard has wonderful books, but does it belong in the New Testament? No, it doesn't doesn't fit the canon, but you can read it. It's true. It's good writing. It's going to bless you. It's not scripture, but it's true. I think the book of Enoch is that way. I really believe that Michael and Satan had a dispute over Satan's body. So this angel of war who is guarding the body of Moses has a dispute over, over, over it. And uh, so this is what an angel of war does. It protects things that God wants protected. It guards it, it. It fights it. It just does everything it can for the security of the kingdom of God. So. So what happened is Moses, who was a great prophet, he made a mistake as all of us do. He didn't hallow the Lord in a certain moment. God told him, talk to the rock and water will come out. Well, Moses was mad at the rebellion of the people and, And it was just having a bad day and just started striking that rock. God's like, I don't look very holy in that moment. I just don't look very holy in that moment. You're angry and you're swinging your stick and smiting that rock when I said simply talk to it. So Moses' attitude did not represent the attitude that Christ had in that moment. So let me tell you, preacher, just because you're screaming and yelling and beating that pulpit doesn't mean God is holy there. (laughs) Should we be screaming and yelling about holy things? No, holy things need to be spoken of in a peaceful manner. So if you're up there uh, beating the pulpit, kicking the monitor down in front of you and screaming and, and yelling, uh, you know, get that makeup off your face and stop cutting that hair. I don't, I'm so sure God looks holy in that moment. Teach it. Speak it. Uh, don't strike it and don't hit it in that moment. Who knows? You might end up dead, not able to enter the promises that God has for you. Whew. I will stop right there. So, the body of Moses is there. Uh, Moses, uh, the Lord took him. It, 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 you know, nobody was there to witness his death. It happened up into, into, in the mountains of Moab. And so, Satan is disputing with Michael over this. So, I've got some ideas about this. You know, the Lord said uh, that God would raise up a prophet like me, He said that through Moses. Perhaps maybe Satan would try to deceive Israel to do that. You know, the Canaanites practiced necromancy, a lot of the dark spiritual arts. Perhaps if the people would have known where Moses' body was in that mountain, they would have tried to have done Canaanite witchcraft to raise him up from the dead, uh, leading them to more and more sin. Because that's what happens. A lot of times people and objects they just become things of worship. You know, I love a Hammond B3 as much as anybody, but there are people that just they only worship when the Hammond B3 is going. I'm serious. You ever see people like that? They're dead as a doornail. Then the organ plays and oh, they're up on their feet Or like preachers. Their, their message isn't going anywhere. Then they get an organ play and it's like, oh, it's now time to preach. <laughs> By the way, if you're ever asked to open for a, a preacher, don't don't get somebody up there to play the Hammond B3. You're not the main act. You're not going to lead up to the altar call. Don't get your organ player up there for a fiery five, please. And thank you. I'll stop right there. <laughs> it's um, and we need to worship the Lord. And I think Satan would have used the body of Moses to draw attention away from God and draw attention all on Moses and demonic things. So another idea is I think Satan probably may have wanted to drag Moses' body into the promised land because God said you're not going to enter the promised land because you didn't hallow me you're not entering into the promised land and maybe Satan wanted to drag that body into the promised land and make prophecy fail and God turn out to be uh, a liar. So you know God restricts us from times because of our behavior. Look at Adam and Eve, they couldn't go back in the garden. Set a cherubim there. No, you're not coming in. Moses, no, you're not coming into the promised land. I mean, why do you think Jesus left Israel, left the borders and went up into a high mountain? Well, Moses was going to go into here and he couldn't enter into that promised land. So, so yeah, Satan uh, just says the Lord rebuke, rebuke you. Get out of here. So there's the angels of war. There's the angels of worship. Read about it. Study it. Learn about how they live. Learn about how they act and start to emulate that. Start to kind of do a a little bit of that, how angels worship, how they war. Don't worship the angel. You'll make them mad. They'll leave. Jesus Christ is, is greater than the angels. You have Jesus, you'll have angels. But I think I just want to partner with them. I want to have them in my life. I want to serve the Lord alongside with them. We're going to dwell together for all eternity in heaven. We might as well have some interaction uh, here and now because we can't uh, do everything on our own. We need the help of angels. We need those ministering spirits with us. Uh, I'm I'm Justin Gleason. Get the sin and the demons out of your life and start getting some righteousness and some angelic powers worshiping and warring for your soul. In Jesus' name.
1: This is Caleb Herring and you're listening to Justin C. Gleason.
0: Conference 2023 Indianapolis, Indiana, United Pentecostal Church International. I think this is uh, a winter. Man, I'm telling you, God was moving in those worship services. A lot of angelic power coming down from heaven and just blessing the people. I love that full altar calls before and after. Like like it opened with big altar calls and a big powerful altar calls afterwards. So yeah, uh, a lot of great singers. This Winter Elms uh, sister. Goodness gracious, can she just crank it out? She there's a, a a a reel floating around about her. It's been floating around for a while, and uh, she's she's. <laughs> Now I can't sing, you know. It's, it's she's singing "The Devil's a Liar" and you're my provider, and these schmucks are out there calling her the Janice Joplin of Pentecost. I mean, come on, the girl's just got a great voice. That's all there is to it. Not only can she sing sweet and soft, but just uh, produce that that power out there. It's like it's like preaching and singing all at the same time. So, so we like all those O's and those hallelujahs there at the end. That's just great. So. Yeah, I really enjoyed the worship. The bands were fantastic. The production was great. Just a great atmosphere to worship in. And it was nice for me because normally in, in my local church and places I go and preach, I worship. But I've got preaching on my mind and just the whole order of service and the systems and the process on my mind. But it was nice to just come to an event where I didn't have to worry about any responsibility and uh, just worship the Lord. So thank you, UPCI, for providing a great, powerful, just a spectacular worship environment. It was a blessing to my wife and I and my kids. And then, um, yeah, it was just great. But the preaching, goodness gracious, was it great. You know, general conference preaching is different. It's different preaching than what you're going to get typically on your Sunday mornings and your Wednesday nights. Conference preaching, it's it's there to save souls. It's, it's there to, uh, edify. It's there to uplift. It's there to bless, but really there is a, there's just this, I don't know how else to say it. You're about the father's business type of stuff. It's, it's meant for people that are living right and on board and a part of the UPCI. So you're not going to get a whole lot of, if you're hurting, God is here, you know, if you're in trouble, (laughs) Run to the altar right now. You're not going to get a lot of that. It's more geared towards empowerment and equipping and uh, staying on target, staying focused. That's what conference preaching is about. And there's, of course, the giving aspect. And man, was that there. So uh, we've got you some excellent sound from uh, the pulpit of the United Pentecostal Church General Conference 2023. Indianapolis, Indiana, and here is uh, our Bishop... Our bishop, our general superintendent, David K. Bernard.
1: But if we spend our life for the kingdom of God, if we're consumed by zeal for souls, if we give ourselves away, Mm. if we lose our life in the end, we will step into eternal life. That's the only life worth living, a life of zeal and fervor and passion for the kingdom of God. Somehow, we've got to go beyond the ordinary, the super. the average, the routine, the mediocre, the everyday. And we've got to be passionate about the kingdom of God.
0: Wow. I'm telling you, you know, if you're not careful, uh, our bishop can fool you with all the books that he writes and the seminars and the classes. You you, would think that there's nothing like, I don't know, exuberant or passion. But let me tell you, when he preaches, it's pure blood and guts. And that's what he is. He prays, he fasts, he studies. He's, a, he's an apostolic Pentecostal preacher. And boy, did he preach and lit a fire in me. And I feel that fire right now, that zeal has uh, just been inside of me. And I love the message. It, there was vision there. It was a powerful word, but it just spoke to the moment and to the future there about being consumed by the zeal of the Lord. And I really loved his stories that he told. They were awesome. A lot of personal family stories. Uh, Some of the uh, horrible things that the families had to experience as missionaries there in Korea. He uh, showed some pictures of uh, his parents who were missionaries to Korea, pioneer missionaries there. The first uh, place that they worshipped, it was not a brick building, not a wood construction. No, it was like a tent that they placed right in the middle of a neighborhood. And it was just so neat to see the humble beginnings of the ministry of the Bernard family back then, I guess the 50s, 60s right there, thinking that's where Bernard first started going to church and learning the word of God uh, in this little tent. But you know what? That family brought greatness to that country, uh, told stories about some of the persecution that Specifically, his mother had to encounter just the humiliation from some of those uh, people there. But she just stood up and worshiped. And thank God she was able to suffer and be persecuted for, for the name of the Lord. He talked about a, a horrible car wreck the family was in. And he he said, you know, when we got in the car wreck, I knew I had a big gash in the top of my head. I began to cry. But my father in the car said, it's going to be all right, son. He said, you wouldn't know I have a big scar because I use it to part my hair. <laughs> yes, you know stuff like that that just um, I just felt such a connection to the bishop and the message that he was preaching, and uh, zeal is powerful. And if you're consumed by it, you'll stay focused. You know, a zeal is a part of the spiritual emotions of Christ. That's why he couldn't stand all those uh, merchants out there where people are supposed to be praying. You know, you think about that. You're in the altar praying, and somebody's uh, coming up and and uh, trying to sell you a tie. You ever seen that or you're trying to pray and get a hold of God and somebody tries to come up with their business card and say, here, I clean windows, you know, I I can really help your church out. Right. Uh, The zeal is is starting to burn within me and I'm about to start ripping up people's business cards and kick them out. (laughs) Now, there's more than that, obviously, but it's the zeal of the purpose and and uh, the power of the kingdom of God. It was such a phenomenal word. Powerful altar called the Lord move and spoke in a very, very uh, supernatural way. Uh, my uh, Our superintendent here in Missouri, my bishop, Brian Parkey, he brought the word. Take a listen.
1: Regardless of the circumstance, God always has a plan. Oh, the devil he thought he'd won ever. the war in the garden, but God told him, not so fast, Satan. I already know... this will turn out because I have a plan. I will put enmity between thee and the woman between thy seed and her seed it shall bruise thy head and thou shall bruise his heel. Mm. Calvary wasn't an accident but Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world (laughs) the church wasn't an afterthought but he chose us in him before the foundation Mm. of the world Noah found grace but he also had a plan. He moved with fear. He Amen. prepared an heart to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. No great miracle. He just worked the plan. Let me encourage someone right here, right now. Just keep working the plan because deliverance is coming.
0: Didn't work a miracle, but he worked the plan. How about that? You know, that was, uh, I mean, I mean, simple but profound like there's I think a lot of brains exploded in that service people out there wondering why is not my church growing you know why aren't we having revival you know we sing and dance for an hour and a half and our pastor preaches three hours where are we at here yeah you know I I get it a lot of what I do on this podcast is not planned a lot of it is I just trust trust the stream of my consciousness and and truth be told, I'm coming off a seventh month sabbatical of podcasting. I'm probably going longer than what I should, but I, I know some of you, you don't care. you you're good with like a three hour long podcast. I'm not there yet, maybe someday, but I'm not <laughs> there yet. I I haven't even been watching the clock. I'm just talking away here as I feel. but we need to be having a plan with church. We do. Noah had a plan. God had a plan for redemption of souls, all of this stuff. It it wasn't just, uh, you know, winging it. it. It was planned out, thought out, and then you work the plan. And if you create a good plan, you'll have growth. You'll have revival. You'll have all of these things. And it's just something that I've inputted into my own life. Anybody out there that preaches, uh, you don't need a plan. Uh, stay small, Okay. Uh, stay uninfluential. We need to have plans for our churches. We need to have plans for our ministries in our lives. Uh, maybe you're, uh, a senior in high school. You need to start thinking about where you're going to go to college. Are you just, uh, don't worry about, uh, saving money. Don't worry about what you're going to do. Just show, just show up at a Bible college. Somebody will be there and and write a check for you. (laughs) God's going to move on somebody to write a check. No, you work, you save money, you plan. And that's what happens. You count the cost. It's an awesome message. So we've been doing that around here at our local church. I've written out a master plan, and uh, we've just been working at the plan. D-d- really, haven't changed a whole lot. But I'll just tell you one thing that I do, and it might help some of you preachers out there. I know everybody has their own style, but in one of my master, one of the points in my master plan is powerful altar calls. And I observed this, I've just observed this for a long time in church services, a preacher will get up there and preach. Most most preachers preach 50 minutes. That's the average UPC sermon. 50 minutes. Okay? Then they'll have everybody stand. After 50 minutes, you know, people are just I don't know, a lot of a lot of half of them will be disengaged. Just just telling you the truth. And then they'll start trying to make an altar call. Two or four people will come forward, the same two or four people that always come forward. And the preacher will get frustrated. So he'll start preaching a little bit more while everybody's still standing. Three or four may come up. After about 10 minutes, maybe there's 15 people in the altar. And by this time, they're like, come on, won't you come? Won't you come? Won't you come? <laughs> and so then they keep preaching. So from the time they first said, praise the Lord, everyone, to the end of their sermon, there were people should be praying in the altar call, they're still preaching like an hour and 25 minutes. And the altar call is just a disaster because they don't know how to give them. So that's bothered me. I love altar calls. And I don't I don't think the sermon should be a psych up to the altar call. Just like pre-service prayer shouldn't be a psych up to the worship service. Worship service shouldn't be a psych up to the sermon. The sermon shouldn't be a psych up to the altar call. Each has its own purpose. Fitting together for the glory of God. And so what I would suggest to you is a better idea and plan. When it comes to Sunday morning and Wednesday nights, just regular church services out there, I think the average human American out there can stay with you for 40 minutes. 40 minutes is good. I think that's just good for American culture. Now, you go to some nations like Billy Cole Todd in Africa, he'd only preach 15 minutes. That's where hundreds of thousands got the Holy Ghost. Just 15 minutes. America, 40 minutes. So start doing better sermons in less time. Start having better church in less time. Start having uh, better altar calls with a better message. And so this is what I do. It's the plan. I preach, I put the mic down, and I let God move. And let me tell you, not bragging, all glory to God, but this has been my plan, and I haven't begged anybody to come to the altar. I do say the altar's open, but I don't have to be like, won't you come? Come on, where are you at? I haven't had to do that. I put the mic down, and the altar fills up. Why? Because I had a message. And I have a message that communicated and connected to people, and I came up there with a plan. and didn't just wing it. And you know what? We have powerful altar calls and that's where demons have been cast out. Healings have happened. Uh, people are getting baptized. People are getting the Holy ghost. It's just, it's just the way God designed it to be. So that's been the plan. Okay. That's just my opinion. That's just Bishop Parkey's opinion. You need to have a plan. So, uh, who was that guy? Forget his name. Created the, that, that day timer thing, those six hole punch, three ring binders, and you stick paper in the daytimer thing. Uh, you can, uh, uh, fail to plan or plan to fail. <laughs> fail to plan, you plan to fail, right? So that's, you got to have some of that uh, in, in your church and in the revival that we're trying to have. So powerful, powerful message by Bishop Parkey. Okay, on over to Brother Aaron Bounds, the North American Mission Service.
1: I'm going to tell you what the Lord spoke to me. The Lord told me, my, my purpose tonight is not to preach a burden. You've already gotten it. It's not to give you just a word of prophecy. You've already received it. Our problem is, we don't have faith to act on it. We're waiting on the door to open.
0: Mm. We're waiting on
1: the haters to die. Ah! We're waiting on the resources to come in. But I feel something moving in the building. Mm. The door might not be open, but I've got a dream. The door seemingly is shut, but I see a window. I see a vision. Yes. God spoke to me some years ago, and it hasn't come to pass yet. So if the dream's not come to pass, I might as well walk through it and watch Mm. God do a work.
0: Wow. I loved it. Man, I was on my feet in that point. I think you can actually hear me down there saying amen. might have been me. I don't know. Powerful message, uh, you know, about Paul being uh, let out through a window. He had um, some. He had Mark Crowder up there, a bunch of other preachers up there that had a rope and a basket. It was it was just cool. Okay, and we're big uh, fans of Brother Bernard around here by the parky, and we're big fans of Brother Bounds preaching around here. I just love that point. Now, Brother Bounds is a he's a, he's a prophet. He prophesies, and he's up there saying, "I don't have a prophecy for you." Nobody has a greater burden for souls and for church planning than Aaron Bounds. And he said, but I'm not going to preach a burden to you. You know why? Because you already have it. Why do I need to give you what you already have? And uh, he, through the word of wisdom, knew you just need faith. (laughs) Some of you are just waiting on everything to be perfect and right and and awesome, and then you could just walk into it. That has been uh, my problem throughout my life, and I've worked on that. We've we've gotten past that, but it's just everybody's fears. It, it's just like Moses there in front of a burning bush, and God's talking. You know, what if they will hear me? What if they don't receive me? I can't talk right. I can't, And God just keeps giving him signs after signs after signs. You know, Moses is just, just so worried about it. You know, it won't be perfect. God has never demanded perfection. You just got to make the curve. That's all there is. You know, Jesus had John the Baptist uh, prophesying and preaching up a storm as a precursor. You know, he, he leveled the mountains. He raised the valleys. He smoothed out the rough places. He, he made the crooked straight. He got things ready to go for Jesus Christ. It really helped his ministry. But was it perfect? No. Even with all of that, still there is hypocrisy. Still there was enemies. And I think a lot of us are there. We're like, where's our Where's our John the baptizer? Who's going to set it up for me for it to be perfect? Well, you may not have a John the Baptist. Uh, you may not have somebody to set it all up for you, perfect. You just got to go with it. Uh, stop worrying about all your fears and start making a move towards faith. So that's uh, that's Apostle Paul. He's there in the house. He's got enemies. Normally, when you leave a house, where do you walk through? Uh, you don't walk through a wall. You don't have to. You don't dig an underground tunnel. You walk through the door. Well, he couldn't walk through the door. He would have been captured and killed, but he's got to get out and preach. So he can't go through the door. Well, what do you get out? The window. Is a window made for getting out of? No. Is a window a place of escape? No. A window is meant to look outside and see a beautiful sunset. Well, Paul used what something what normally isn't designated for, but he saw an opportunity and he got out through a window, through a basket and a rope. That's how it all began. And some of us are right there. We've got all the prophecy in the world. We've got all the burden in the world. Well, why isn't it happening? Because you're you no know, faith. You're not going to be able to see everything you want to do for God. You've got to work through faith. That's how mountains are moved. Mountains aren't moved through prophecy. Mountains aren't moved through burdens. <laughs> They're moved when you have faith. And I think church planning, the vision of North American missions, we've got prophecy there. And it's ready to go. And it can be activated in any moment. We've got the burden there. I mean, my God, we want to reach North America. But it is just faith. Faith, faith, faith. It is impossible to please God without a burden. No, it doesn't say that. It is impossible to please God without prophecy. No, nope, it's not there. Oh, but you better believe it's impossible to please God without faith. So uh, the only thing that could have made that message better is if he would have pulled out that harmonica. You know he had it in his pocket ready to go, but it just just wasn't <laughs> It just wasn't there but now we'd love where the bounce I got to see him talk to the conference awesome man of God so it was a powerful conference uh, the children's ministry service 52 kids received the Holy Ghost how about that we praise God for that global mission service pledged I've, I think it was record-breaking five million dollars pledged to global missions Wow! move the mission youth youth ministries 8.7 million dollars Given to that. I think that was another record. And so then the attendance was really nice. 11,200, I think, was the peak attendance there at General Conference. You might hear another report, uh, but as of this recording, far as we know, 11,200 in attendance. I believe that's been the largest uh, crowd we've had in the last almost 15 years, 13, 14 years, something like that. So, and then uh, pleased to tell you, a lot of really good elections. Our Bishop, David K. Bernard, was re elected as General Superintendent. Uh, Daryl Johns, assistant general superintendent of the East. Love him. Love that family. Got, 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 to reconnect, uh, with, uh, Joel. I went to Bible college with Joel. He was awesome. And, and Justin Johns were up there. They, they had their kids up there and I had my kids up there. <laughs> it was I'm like, I'm glad I'm not the only one with kids up there. They brought their kids up there, but the kids did good. The kids did it. Well, most of them did. Most of them did. The only one that, that didn't was uh, a little boy who I, who I nicknamed earthquake. <laughs> it's little Ezra he's 22 months old his first general conference and um uh on uh, and i traded off and on uh, one service it was she took care of him the other service it was me and uh, in that general uh in that global mission service uh, i was taking care of ezra and, and trying to keep him quiet i gave him a bag of chips and he threw the chips through the bag up in the air just looked like a firework of chips up in the air and I can hear Sister John's laughing behind me. About 300 other people laughing behind me. They're just enjoying the Ezra show as he was tearing apart the the Reserve General Board section. I, I'm sorry for any ladies that uh, that might have gotten uh, chips or a fruit roll up or something thrown at you by Ezra Gleason. Yeah, he was getting rowdy, and, and Joel Johns was kind enough to give him a sticker, and that calmed him down. He loved that little sticker on the back of his hand. So, yeah, so also, uh, Stan Gleason, my dad and my bishop got reelected. so it was, you know, that was great. It was good to be in the business meeting. I, uh, you know, through the years, I've gotten invites to serve on the... Um, Voter Assistance Team, and it just hasn't worked out for me in years past, but it worked out for me this year, and I was on the Voter Assistance Team. That was fun. You know, that brother Koppel had us come in early, a big group of us, about 25 guys, and just educated us on how the voting system works and had us all standing there to make sure guys walk in with their cards and give them a voter card and all all of this stuff. And, And then we were to stand and walk up and down the aisle and wait for somebody to raise their hand that needed assistance. Uh, with their voting, so uh, that was a fun experience. Uh, got to buddy up with uh, Amado Huizar, pastors there in uh, South Bay Pentecostal Church in California. That was a a lot of fun. Can't uh, can't disclose all what we spoke of and talked about because it's just preacher business there. But that was great. Shout out to a Brother Huizar, powerful man of God. So it was fun reconnecting with people. Uh, The booth setup was really great. Uh, We love the city of Indianapolis. A lot of nice steakhouses that within walking distance there and some spicy shrimp cocktail that we got to enjoy. It was great. Uh, something else that I was really encouraged, you know, I'm I'm 40 years old. Most of my friends are now married, but not all of them. Some are still uh, waiting to be woken up and Eve standing there. right? They're lost. Well, one of my friends who was who I called the most eligible bachelor in the United Pentecostal Church, Uh, uh he quit looking for love and love found him <laughs> and I got to meet his fiance. So delighted to meet his fiance. And I'm going to keep this nameless. OK, but. So I meet the fiance, delighted to meet, meet the fiance. And I I said, so tell me, how did you all meet? How did you all meet? And we already were in like a good mood. There was just good camaraderie. And she went from smiling to kind of a serious look. And she said, I didn't have a good first impression when we first met. I was like, oh. And she said, yeah, it was in 2019 at North American Youth Congress. And he invited me out to get a pretzel. And after we got the pretzels, he didn't pay for my pretzel. I had to pay for my own pretzel. So I was not impressed. <laughs> so, so I went, oh, <laughs> yeah. My friend, his eyebrows just kind of raised up. And I said, well, I can see things have drastically changed and improved. She goes, oh, they have. So we we were not. The second time around was a better impression. And now they're engaged to getting married. So, um. So it's just nice to see that the dating scene is working there at General Conference. I think a lot of guy, another guy I, I know, it, uh, relationship is going very well. They're falling in love. So and just had a great conference. Uh, dating the dating scene at General Conference was uh, happening there. So we like that. We believe in healthy relationships around here. So, uh, so if you're out there and you want to invite a girl to go get a pretzel, uh, make sure you make a good impression and pay for that pretzel you're listening to the justin c gleason podcast we're back on making episodes we love you god bless you we'll talk to you again soon